Welcome to the show, everybody. I, I trust you're all excited for the Democratic debate tonight. I know that I am. I actually am excited for it this time, to be honest. This time, anyway, I am. Uh, and and for, for one thing, I'm looking forward to the spectacle of a Democratic debate featuring not one, but two billionaires. Two billionaires. Actually, I'm not sure if Steyer made the cut this time around. I hope that he did. Because either way, there are two billionaires in the field vying for the Democratic nomination. So you got two billionaires, a bunch of millionaires, a bunch of white people, uh, and that's it, right? Basically, the Democratic field looks exactly like the kind of party that the Democrats accuse the Republicans of being, and that's great. I do expect tonight, uh, for just a, a very brief preview, that the phrase buying the election, the accusation of buying the election will be uttered quite a bit. Um, all of the mere millionaires on stage will valiantly stand up against the billionaire or billionaires and accuse them of buying the election. But keep in mind, um, as the millionaires complain about the billionaire buying the election, that um, they aren't upset about elections being bought per se. They have no problem with that. It's just they're upset about, they're upset about somebody buying an election with their own money. That's, that's the issue. Uh, for Sanders and Warren, of course, their preferred method is to buy the election by bribing voters with other people's money. So they want to use your money to, bri to bribe the voters, and that's their issue. Bloomberg, at least, has the, the decency to bribe folks with his own money. And that's the, uh, that's the thing that I think offends the Warrens and the Sanders of the world. So remember that tonight. You know, nobody has ever attempted to buy an election as brazenly as especially Bernie Sanders is attempting to buy it by promising free everything, basically. It's just that, again, he's using your money to do it. The idea that somebody would use their own money to do anything is very offensive to Bernie Sanders, so I'm sure we'll, we'll hear a lot about that tonight. Okay, enough about the debate for now. I want to talk about narcissism, a, um, a not unrelated topic, to be sure, and that's going to be the theme of the show today or at least of the first couple of, of things that we talk about. I believe that uh, narcissism is the great plague of modern society. And since our society is so into narcissists and has so constructed itself around narcissism, it has also come up with many names and, and labels and ways of discussing narcissism to make it seem noble or brave or bold, right? Now, I think it may help to begin with a definition. I don't always trust websites like Psychology Today, but in this case, I think Psychology Today provides a pretty good description of what narcissism is. is uh, here's what the site says. Narcissism is characterized by, it says, a hunger for appreciation or admiration, a sense of specialness, and a desire to be the center of attention, and an expectation of special treatment reflecting perceived higher status. Okay, so that's narcissism. Now, here's a great example of it, in my view. There's this video that's gone viral online. It's a video of somebody, a woman, I think, I could be wrong, performing a bit of uh, poetry about her struggles uh, with trying to get her hair cut as a, quote, non-binary person. And this is being hailed as, like I said, noble, brave, bold, beautiful. But really, I could just not imagine a better illustration of narcissism. In fact, it would not be an exaggeration to say that this, that this poem that I'll play for you right now is, is perhaps the most powerful poem about narcissism that I've ever heard. So um, without further ado, here, here it is. Watch this. 
I need a haircut. So option one is the salon. That womanly world of perfumed femininity with which I feel like I have little affinity. Or option two is the barbers, which isn't much better since this voice and these swells in my chest make me feel like an infiltrator. But barbers or salon when I get to the chair. Before we can even touch on my hair, there's this question which hangs there unuttered and awkward, then made all the more awkward when they say, I know this is awkward. And through the mirror they ask if I'm a boy or a girl. Am I trans? Am I gay? And I don't know what to say. Sometimes I pick my labels to make other people feel okay. But it's never enough to say where I'd like to be trimmed or shaved. They need to know my sex. How else can they charge the appropriate rate? I'm sure you've seen the signs. Gents trim five quid, women's trim nine. It doesn't matter how I define anyway when the hair on her head is charged by what's between her legs and... As usual, there always seems to be a higher price to pay for those who are female. You see, what, what you saw there, that's not a poem about being non-binary, mostly because there's no such thing as being non-binary. That doesn't exist. Um, that's a poem about, as I said, being a narcissist. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But first, a word from Vincero Watches. With this new year, you know, it's time to, to get started on improving yourself. Um, and no one knows that better than one of my favorite sponsors. I tell you about them all the time, Vincero. These guys... They just know how important it is to look and, and feel your best, and they're here to help you keep stay motivated uh, through 2020 and beyond. If you're looking to upgrade your look, you don't have to waste money on a cheap cookie-cutter watch that doesn't get you noticed. And, and getting a watch is a great way to kind of upgrade it, class things up a little bit. And um, if you do it with Vincero, then you know that you're, these are going to be affordable options, but not cheap. And there is a difference between those, those two things. Finding a watch that's stylish, bold, and built to last can cost a, you know, cost a pretty penny. That's why Vincero's wa- Vincero Watches is changing that. They believe that you deserve to look good no matter your budget. You deserve better than settling for something that's underwhelming or that looks cheap. So head over to VinceroWatches.com slash Walsh. You can check out my favorite picks. Take advantage of my special discount while you shop. Um, and remember to use code Walsh. Vincero understands the frustrations of online shopping these guys, they really get it, and that's why they make it as easy as possible for you. The chair offers uh, free shipping, 30-day returns, uh, which means you know you could try it on if you don't like it. You can send it back, but I think you will like it. But there's always that option. It's stress-free shopping with fair and honest prices, um, and it just gives you it gives you what you need. And and this is why, if you don't believe me, you don't have to believe me. Don't trust me. Go check out Vincero's five-star reviews on their site. They've got over 20,000 of them. So just trust the people that have bought these watches and uh, can tell you about it. This is something that you'll use, and this is this is a this is a timepiece that will last as they should. Uh, so this deal is really too good to piss, pass up. You get the year started the right way. Go to vincero watches.com forward slash Walsh and use my discount code Walsh for a discount at checkout. Do not pay full price on these beautiful timepieces. You don't need to. Use my code Walsh at checkout. Again, that's VinceroWatches.com. All right. um, So you saw the video, the poem. And this is the kind of thing that these days we're supposed to approach with hushed reverence and say, shh, everyone, listen. She's talking about her lived experience. This This is profound and meaningful. 
when really almost everybody is rolling their eyes, at least internally. Maybe not externally because they think they're not allowed to. They think this is, that's not the right, that's, that, that's, a, that's a terrible and bigoted reaction. It's not. It's the right reaction. Let's talk about why. First of all, this person says that her identity, as complex and fascinating and poetic as it is, just can't be described by or contained by the labels male or female. It's just, that's, that's, that's not enough. She needs something other than that. Uh, well, no, she doesn't, because nobody is other than that. You're either male or female. Okay, in her case, female, I think. Uh, now, you can be a female who prefers short hair and baggy clothes. That's fine. That has absolutely nothing to do with your status as male or female. If you're a female with uh, different fashion sense and aesthetic sensibilities from most fe- other females, then you're just a female with different fashion senses and aesthetic sensibilities from most other females. That's it. It's not complicated. We, we don't need a whole new category to describe you. You're still a female, just a female, and that's fine. It really is. Or you're a male, and, and that's fine too. Everybody is one or the other. It is indeed a binary system. That's what a binary system is, where, every, where everyone or everything in the system is one thing or another. And that's how it is for members of the human species. It is definitely a binary system. There is no third sex. It doesn't exist. Now, there are people of either sex, a small minority, who suffer from deformities or abnormalities, but those are deformities and abnormalities within the binary. And the whole way we know that they are deformities or abnormalities is because they are within the binary. But um, some people have convinced themselves that these so-called traditional labels, these standard categories, are just too small, you know, too, too shallow, too boring, too routine to contain them, to contain them and their enormity. They're just so interesting and so deep and so amazing and incredible and different and manifold and nuanced you heard it in the clip, you know, the rest of the world, almost everyone else, can satisfy themselves with these labels, but not me. No, I'm, 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 I'm just different. I'm something else entirely. I'm not like them. I'm not like you. I'm not like anyone. I have, what was, you know, what was that on uh, Psychology Today? I have a sense of specialness and a desire to be the center of attention. That's what it is. And then she makes this whole long thing out of choosing who is going to cut her hair. You know, even claiming that the barber or stylist will ask her if she's gay or trans, which, first of all, I guarantee that doesn't happen. Okay, you're not going to sit down at the barbershop. So you gay? Is that gay, gay person? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I've never been asked that personally. I, I really doubt that she's ever been asked that at the, at the barbershop because it's, it's totally irrelevant. It's also irrelevant what sex you are. They're not going to ask you that either. You know, what makes female hair more expensive is not that it's female, but that generally there's more of it and um, women want more done to it. And so if you're going to cut female hair, it takes longer. It requires more skill and talent and training. And so it's more expensive. But if you're okay with just getting a three on the sides and a little off the top, like the kind of thing that men, a- that, that, that men ask for when they sit down at the, at the barber, then you're going to get the same prices. It's that simple. You see Nobody really gives a damn. That's the thing. This um, person is imagining a scenario where the whole world is hanging on the edge of its seat, wanting to know what she'll do, what kind of haircut is she going to get. But nobody gives a damn. That's the thing. 
Just get over yourself. Get, that, that's the answer most of the time when you see this stuff. Well, I'm non-binary. No, no, just get over yourself. Get over yourself. And, you know, get the kind of cut you want and shut up about it. it that's, that's it. Nobody cares. This is a realization that we could all benefit from. Something that we all need to keep in mind, I think. Even those of us who are not necessarily inclined to write slam poetry about our experiences at the barbershop, um, we could still bear this in mind too. And that is that when it comes down to it, almost nobody actually cares what we're doing 99% of the time. 99% of the time, the feeling that we have of being judged or, or, or um, watched or whatever is an illusion. Nobody is judging because nobody cares. And even the ones who are judging, which does happen sometimes, they don't really care that much. They're going to forget about it 10 seconds later. They're not going to go about their day thinking about you. So when you walk into a room and you think, oh no, what are people going to think about me and what I'm doing and what I feel and what I say? What are people going to think? The answer is almost nothing. They're going to think almost nothing about it. Because they're just as absorbed in their own ego as you are in yours. I'm not sure if that's much of a comfort. Um, it certainly isn't. Uh, doesn't tell us anything great about the nature of humanity, but that's the way it is. It's the truth. Okay. Um, all right, more to talk about. But uh, first, you know, it's hard to imagine, but there was a time, a long time ago, when... If somebody was knocking on your door, you had to like physically be there. And if you weren't there, then they would just go away and you would never know who was there. That's a ba- way back in the dark ages. But um, as someone who's had Ring for, for a long time now, I can't, I can't imagine going back to that. Because Ring, it gives you peace of mind, the convenience that comes with it. Uh, and it, you know, it just makes not only your home, but it makes neighborhoods safer. Now, you probably know with Ring um, about their smart video doorbells. That's what most people know them for, the cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you to stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, uh, you'll get an alert and you'll be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone from anywhere in the world. doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be there. That's the point. Um, and this, you know, what I always go back to is the is the convenience factor of it, which, of course, is a big thing, but also the peace of mind and the security of knowing that you've got an eye on things and you know who's at your house because you have a right to, to know that information. Um, as a subscriber, you have a special offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now at ring.com Walsh. The kit includes a video doorbell and Chime Pro, which is just what you need to start a to start building a ring of security around your home today. Go to ring.com Walsh. That's ring.com Walsh. By the way, this was pretty good. Elizabeth Warren uh, she was, I think, talking to a culinary union yesterday, trying her best to pander. And you know, sometimes it goes off the rails when Elizabeth Warren tries to pander because she's trying to approximate uh, w- what normal people say. And, and, and but it doesn't always work out because she's got a little bit of a robotic Hillary Clinton thing going on with her. And so this is, uh, this is what she came up with. Watch. Yes, when you need something cleaned, call a woman. That was that's actually what she said. And as a husband, I, you know, it's not very often I agree with Elizabeth Warren or I have the the inclination to shout amen. But um, as a husband, I I do. I have to say amen to that. 
Yes, ma'am. I, I totally agree. And that is generally my strategy as well. Um, my wife's not a big fan of that being my strategy, but uh, hey, I, now I have the endorsement of Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren said, you want it done, you got to call a woman. That's the, that's the enlightened thing to do. I just never realized, I guess, that Elizabeth Warren is a trad wife. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the headline here. Personally, I really hope she gives a speech sometime at like a Subway restaurant. If you need a sandwich made, call a woman. Uh, good stuff from Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, moving on here, I wanted to defend uh, Jake Paul for a minute. Defend him against narcissists because that's the theme today, of course. Uh, Jake Paul, famous YouTuber, the kids tell me, got himself in trouble on Monday because he tweeted about anxiety. And what we know about things like anxiety and depression is that if you're going to wade into these waters and say anything at all about these subjects, it better be something that adheres very strictly to modern orthodox thinking on these subjects. Because if not, you're going to have a whole bunch of narcissists jumping down your throat, telling you that you aren't qualified to talk about these things, implying that they are somehow, never explaining why they are, but uh, you're not qualified, they are, and uh, they're going to let you know it. Well, Jake Paul didn't realize this, so he said in 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 a tweet, which I believe has since been deleted, he said, remember, anxiety is created by you. Sometimes you got to let life play out and remind yourself to be happy and that the answers will come. Chill your mind out, go for a walk, talk to a friend. That was the tweet. Um, It's been deleted. I don't know if he's apologized yet. Probably will if he hasn't yet, I imagine. And it provoked thousands of snide, condescending, angry reactions from people basically going, you don't know anything about anxiety the way that I've experienced it. I'm an anxiety expert. Your thoughts are so shallow, you fool. If only you were as deep and interesting and tortured a soul as me, then you'd realize all of your thoughts about anxiety are wrong because they're not like mine. Um, Newsweek has uh, compiled some tweets reacting to the Jake Paul tweet, which, because this is how news is reported these days, I'm not going to read any of them. It doesn't really matter. Um, the, the, the point is that, uh, uh, you know, people are angry that, that he said this about anxiety. But first of all, um, I think it's, it's relevant to point out that he's exactly right. And the point that he's making is unavoidably demonstrably true, no matter what explanation you prefer for anxiety. Because no matter what, it is something generated by the brain, right? By the mind. Doesn't mean it's your fault, but it is generated by the self. I mean, what other option would there be? If, if anxiety is not created by you, then who is it created by? The only other option I could think of is some kind of, some kind of spiritual warfare thing where you're blaming it on the devil. Now, I believe in spiritual warfare, and even I don't think that. Uh, the, the, the brain makes anxiety and your brain is your brain. It's not your neighbor, Jim's brain. It's your brain. It's in your head. And so it is technically true to say that anxiety is created by you. That's not the same thing as blaming you. It's not, it's not an insult either. And yeah, it also doesn't tell the whole story, but that's why the best reaction to a statement like this is either to ignore it if you want, or to add to it to respond, to have a conversation. Isn't that what everyone always says we should be doing? Have a conversation about mental health in America. And so we were always told to have this conversation. But we can't 
because all anyone is ever looking to do is compete over who has suffered the most psychologically and who therefore is most suited to issue decrees on the subject. I mean, the last thing we could do is have a conversation about it. And, and anyone who's got any kind of platform and has made the mistake of just sort of sharing some thoughts on something like depression or anxiety has learned this. No, 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 you, we can't have a conversation about this. Are you kidding me? This is the last thing we could talk about. Because people take it very personally if you don't say exactly what they think you should say. People are, are, people are very um, protective of their anxiety and their depression. And if you dare say anything that is not 100% what they want you to say, they are going to lose their minds over it. That's the way it goes. But there is nonetheless a lot of truth to, to what Jake Paul said. Of course, um, of course, anxiety is self-generated in whatever way, in some way. You know, that's, of course, the case. And of course, taking a walk and relaxing can help. Of course it can. It can help anybody, no matter how severe your anxiety is. And I say that as somebody who has a lot of anxiety. Um, does that give me special permission or special credentials to talk about this? Is this a competition? Am I saying I have more anxiety than you, so you have to listen to me? No. It's not, it's not special. All humans have anxiety, and a lot of it. It is an essential aspect of the human condition. It is inseparable from our existence as people. Anxiety comes, I think, at bottom from the fact that we are mortal beings. We are aware of our mortality. We are aware of, of time. We are aware of the past and the future, and that we are situated always somewhat precariously at the nexus of those two points. Um, anxiety comes from wanting and not having, from having and fearing that you'll lose what you have, from fears of things you know about and things you don't know about, uh, from disappointment and regret and guilt and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anxiety comes from a lot of things and it mixes together into an unholy stew in your mind. That's what anxiety is. Now, before you claim, oh no, that's just regular anxiety. You don't know what it's like to have irregular anxiety clinical anxiety like me. You don't know what that's like. Well, how in the hell could you possibly know that your anxiety is more serious or worse or whatever than anybody else's? All these assumptions people make. How in the hell could you possibly know that Jake Paul's experience of anxiety is less instructive, less severe, less valuable or whatever than yours? You know, I'll tell you, you can't. You just can't. I mean, you have no idea what you're talking about because you, you can't be inside someone else's mind. You have absolutely no idea what's going on inside there. All you can assume is that when it comes to something like anxiety, everyone basically knows where you're coming from because you're a person and so are they. To assume anything else is by definition narcissism. But there are a lot of narcissists who take a weird kind of pride in their real or imagined mental conditions believing that it, it makes them special and more interesting and deeper and more troubled than everybody else. And I, you know, I'm really tired of it. I honestly am. Everyone has the right to talk about anxiety. Everyone has experience with it. Your assumption that your experience is different is just that, an assumption and a bad one, a narcissistic one. Depression is the same thing. You know, that, that's, that's another thing that comes with being human which isn't to diminish it. Lots of things come with being human that are still nonetheless significant. 
So this is not reductive. Um, but we, we have to get to a point where we could just talk about these things and people can share their thoughts and be honest and go out on a limb by simply giving their perspective without everyone else getting ready to you know fall down on their fainting couches about it. If the person's perspective on the human condition doesn't exactly align with their own. One of the dumbest and most dangerous things we've done, I think, as a culture, is to medicalize the human condition and then to decree that certain people are the experts, the scientific experts on the subject, the subject of being human. So much so that everyone else has to defer to them, even though we're all human. And there's no reason really to think that these so-called experts are somehow more expertly human than anybody else. So when Paul said this about, uh, when Jake Paul said this about anxiety, and I've gotten this many times myself when I've talked about these sorts of issues, a lot of the responses were, you're not a psychiatrist. Where's your psychiatric degree? Well, first of all, everyone's saying that. None of them are psychiatrists either. So yet they feel perfectly suited to pontificate all they want because they believe that their experience is so much more relevant than everyone else's because they're narcissists. But in any case, who says that psychiatrists have some especially true or valuable insight into something as basic and human as anxiety? Now, I'm not saying they have no insight into it, but, but, but who's to say that they're experts? Who appointed them experts? I mean, what, so psychiatrists have solved anxiety after all, thousands of years of human, of, 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 of you know, human civilization, of, of, of people writing and thinking and talking about anxiety. Psychiatrists came along and in 50 years, they solved it. Yep, they're experts. They got it. Listen to them. You know, I, I would have an easier time deferring to certain philosophers on the issue of anxiety than I would psychiatrists. At least they understand, the philosophers do, what kind of issue they're dealing with. At least they aren't materialists and minimalists trying to reduce every damn thing to a matter of neurological chemistry. You know, uh, Kierkegaard, I would consider maybe something of an expert on anxiety, but that's only because I've read what he said about it, and it seems to me that he really did have a great insight into it. Um, it you know, this is not a, 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 a an appeal to authority. It's just it's more I've I've read what he says, and and to me. It seems like it makes sense. Here, by the way, here's, uh, here's, here's Kierkegaard on anxiety. Kierkegaard says, Anxiety may be compared with dizziness. He whose eyes happen to look down the yawning abyss becomes dizzy. But what is the reason for this? It's just as much in, in his own eye as in the abyss. For suppose he had not looked down. Hence, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, which emerges when the spirit wants to posit the synthesis and freedom looks down into its own possibility laying hold of its finiteness to support itself. Freedom succumbs to dizziness. Now, I understand about 60% of that, okay? Kierkegaard is a little bit difficult to understand. Um, but what I take from that is that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. That it's sort of this tension between us being finite beings and yet having seemingly infinite freedom. Now, there's an idea. Maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. 
But to me, this seems much closer to the truth than any reductive medicalized rhetoric you get from psychiatrists. But then again, you know, I'm only judging Kierkegaard's thoughts on anxiety based on my own experience with it, which is the only thing that anyone can do, psychiatrists included. I just wish that psychiatrists would admit that much of what they do is actually philosophy. They are making judgments about the human condition. More than that, they are judging not only how a person is and what a person is, but how a person ought to be. And that is a philosophical judgment all the way through. One we're free to take or leave. But the problem is that we just, we just trust it implicitly. And we don't recognize it as a philosophical judgment. So we've got the psychiatric community making all of these declarations about, well, this is the right amount of a certain personality trait people are supposed to have. And this is the right amount of something like depression or anxiety. And if it, if it goes beyond this totally arbitrary line that we've drawn and that we couldn't possibly explain why we drew it there, but we did. If it goes beyond that, that's a problem. Now it's a medical condition. Or something like attention, you know. There's a certain amount of attention that a child is supposed to be able to pay, you know, in school. And if, if and so here's the line of attention that we've just drawn in, in the ether, in, in magically in the air. And if they're below that line, then they have a deficit of attention. And that's abnormal, and now it's a disease. Says who? Where are you getting this from? According to who exactly? I mean, you've decided that when it comes to ADHD, that um, kids are supposed to, to be this certain way and are supposed to have this amount of attention. Who says they're supposed to be that? I mean, you find a kid that, that is not as able to pay attention. Who's to say he's not supposed to be that way? I'm not saying he is supposed to be that way. I'm just saying, how did you decide he's not? Or you find some people that are more inclined to anxiety than others. And we say, well, no, they're not supposed to be that way. Says who? I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe they're not but supposed to. I mean, what are we comparing it to? We've come up with this idea of the sort of normal neurological person that we're all comparing ourselves to. But who is that person? You see, who were we comparing ourselves to? I have too much anxiety. Well, maybe you do, but too much as opposed to what? Where's Where's the line? Where's the level? Where is the perfect brain that we're matching our brains up against and saying, oh, no, our chemistry doesn't quite mix with that. And so, you know, no, no, we need, we, need to, we need to fiddle with these chemicals and these chemicals to make it the perfect brain. These are just basic questions uh, that, that nobody seems to ask. And we just say, we just, we just, we have, we have handed the human condition over to the psychiatric industry and said, yep, yep, it's, it's their thing. They own it. We'll just listen to whatever they say. Maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe there's more to it than that. All right. You know, I want to give a shout out to uh, all of our Daily Wire members. You know, you guys are the ones that keep us in business. We love making content that matters. And while we're on the front lines of the culture war, we can't do it without your support. That's the main thing. If you're still skeptical about joining the Daily Wire, a reader's pass is a great start and a great value. A reader's pass will enable news junkies to uh, read our articles ad-free, which is a great benefit. 
including op-eds from Ben Shapiro, which are exclusive for Daily Wire members only. You get that upgraded experience and in-depth analysis from our editor, editor-in-chief. You also get access to our mobile app, which uh, has really become popular with all of our members. You can read all of our stories on mobile. You can receive push notifications for breaking news and special content. It's perfect for when you want to stay up to date, on the go. This membership tier is already a bargain at uh, just three bucks a month. I mean, three bucks a month is it. But right now we're offering one month for 99 cents. That's mobile, ad-free access to all of the Daily Wire news exclusive op-eds from Ben Shapiro, breaking news and updates on our mobile app, all for the low price of a dollar, less than a dollar. So it's definitely worth it. Give it a shot. You got nothing to lose. Okay, finally, um, researchers in Belgium did a study, and they are now claiming that insect butter tastes like real butter, and nobody can tell the difference. They fed, and this is real, I promise, they fed people cake made from the fat of black soldier fly larvae, and uh, they said that nobody could tell that it was from little baby flies. And so it's all good. Let's just get our butter from flies now. Why not? Now, let me say this. First of all, I've put my money where my mouth is on this very show. And I have eaten insects on the show. And I can tell you that don't buy into the hype of all the stuff you're hearing about. I oh, know insects taste. It, insects taste exactly as you would expect insects to taste. If you were blindfolded and someone gave you an insect and you would know that it's an insect, not just based on the texture either, but it just, whatever you think, if you think, well, what do insects taste like? It, just imagine it. It tastes like that. Exactly what you're thinking. That's what it tastes like. Um, second, general point here. We really need to stop calling non-dairy things butter and milk and cream. Okay. If it's not made with actual dairy, then it's not butter. It's not milk. It's not cream. So forget about insects for a minute. There is no such thing as almond milk. There is no such thing as coconut milk. Those are all lies. That is false advertising. Um, Just because it's white and it, it comes in a carton doesn't make it milk. Nor does it taste like milk. And in my whole life, you know, every time, and I, I usually fall for it. That's why I get, at a, at a certain point, I, I start taking it personally. Because every time someone says, oh, no, no, you, hey, you got to try this. You, gotta, you have to try X. It, it tastes just like Y. Whatever it is, every time I try it and it doesn't taste at all like Y. It's, and it, it, that's the case for um, all the non-dairy fake milk. doesn't taste like milk. Turkey bacon doesn't taste like real bacon. Veggie burgers don't taste at all like real burgers. Insect cake doesn't taste like real cake, I assume. All of these imposters offend me on a moral level as well as a, as a culinary one. Um, so my message is have the courage to be what you are and to embrace it, okay? If you're a jug of coconut drippings, which is what coconut milk really is, then, then that's what you should call yourself. If you're a pack of flavorless turkey strips, call yourself that, not bacon. If you're insect goop, then call yourself insect goop, not butter. Let's all have the courage to be who we are. This is literally the speech that I give every time I go to the grocery store. I stand in the milk aisle and I give this pep talk to the coconut milk. It's at the point now where they just call the police every time I walk in the door. It's, uh, it's a whole thing. Anyway, that's my inspirational message for the day. Hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy the debate tonight. We'll uh, talk about it tomorrow. Godspeed. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, supervising producer Robert Sterling, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Danny D'Amico, audio mixer Robin Fenderson. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Well, Michael Bloomberg has decided to use a portion of his $60 billion fortune to build a time machine, travel back into the past, and correct his past mistake of telling the truth, which makes it almost impossible to get elected now as a Democrat. We'll talk about that, plus the mailbag, so all your problems will be solved on The Andrew Claven Show.